together, we've had some sort of change in our lives, some sort of moment that everything was a defining situation. Maybe you started a new job, maybe you got into a new school or something along those lines. And a part of that was disturbing, a lot of it was concerning, but it was also exciting. It was something that was interesting for you to do, something you were prepared to do. If we look throughout the scriptures, we see examples of men who went through a variety of changes and who were faced with different moments that were difficult, some were stressful, some were exciting. But every one of those moments that we read throughout the scriptures had a message behind it. Had something we were supposed to learn, something we were supposed to see from what was taking place. If I were to bring up King David and talk about the moments of his life, well, we could talk about his slaying Goliath, and we say, well, wow, that was a moment of courage. He stood with the Lord. He was committed to God. That was something we can learn from. Or maybe I could talk about Job and all the suffering that he went through, and I can say, well, that's, that's a moment of patience. I can see the lesson I'm supposed to learn from that. But far too often when we read the Scriptures, we see the delivery, we see the the spectacle of what takes place, but we fail to see the actual message that is there. One particular individual that we're going to be focusing on today is that of Moses and how he received a message, a message that was brought to him in a very particular kind of way, a very interesting kind of way. But this message in particular was one that was timeless something we can even learn from today. See, this message that he received, it was a message that came through fire. A message through fire. When we think about the burning bush, that's probably the thing that comes to mind is that of a, a bush that's not being destroyed, it was not being consumed, but it's on fire. <laughs> I can see how that's an incredible thing to face. But this message was one that he was going to have to deliver, but he received it in such a way that was, it would have been shocking to him. I mean, just imagine for a moment, you're walking down the street, you see a bush that's on fire, but it's not spreading, it's not changing, and that bush is not being destroyed. No doubt many of us would be saying, something's not right here. Something doesn't make sense. Why is this not happening? But as Moses approaches this bush, he sees, or he hears the voice of the Lord saying, take off your shoes for this is holy ground. So not only do you see this bush that's on fire, it's not being consumed, you also hear a voice from heaven coming from this bush that's telling you to take off your shoes because you're standing before Almighty God. And you see, for us, that's the spectacle of it. That's the amazing part of this. We say, wow, that's incredible. But we also should listen to what was said. What was mentioned to Moses through this burning bush? So this morning, we're going to be focusing on several points. First of all, we're going to notice this was a message of compassion. This was a message of compassion. The passage we're going to be looking at in particular today is Exodus chapter 3. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, that's Exodus chapter 3. Where the Lord is speaking directly to Moses and He is describing the situation. How this was a message where He was saying, My people are suffering. My people are suffering. You see, God was not ignoring the plight of the children of Israel. What's going on with the children of Israel at this time? Well, they're in slavery to Pharaoh. Egypt is their oppressor, and they're crying out to the Lord for deliverance, saying, please help us. 
Remember some of the situations that they've been through already. At first, Egypt was a great thing for the, for the Israelites. When Joseph was in charge, it was a wonderful thing. They had all the, the food that they could want. It was a comfortable place to live. But over time, it says there came a Pharaoh who didn't know Joseph. who He didn't care about what Joseph had been. He thought of the people of Israel. They were growing rapidly. They're comfortable. And he sees them as a threat. He sees them as a group of people that need to be subjugated in order to keep them under control. Because what happens if they start to outnumber Egypt? What happens when they suddenly think, you know what, I'm tired of taking orders from you. Now, there's no evidence to suggest that that's what the children of Israel were talking about or even what they were considering, but this is something that a paranoid ruler would think. These people are going to overthrow me. They're going to be a threat to my reign. So what does he do? He says, I'm going to put them under control. And not only that, I'm going to try to commit genocide. I'm going to take away all of their children. All the boys, they're going to be wiped out. Why? Because they're not going to continue to grow. They're not going to continue to have children. That's going to nip this in the bud. Prevent it from growing. See, this was the situation that the children of Israel were under. Imagine us today hearing about a situation like this. We see examples in our own world where there's similar situations going on. And we think of those things and say, that's horrible, that's awful. But that's also not the world we're living in. That's not the situation that we're under. We have our own fair share of problems, absolutely, but we don't have that particular situation happening to us. But they're crying out to the Lord. They're saying, we need help. Lord, help us. And what God is telling to Moses here in verses 7 through 9 in particular, He's telling them, I've heard their plight. So let's go ahead and look at Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. It says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and a large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold... The cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. God says, I hear their cry. I see what's happening, and I have not turned a blind eye to it. Oftentimes, we can feel as though the Lord has abandoned us. We say, why is there so much evil happening in the world? Why does God not step in and stop this? But the reality is, is God is never blind or deaf to the cries of His people. He never ignores when we're struggling. Why do you think it is that God throughout all of the Bible, even especially in the New Testament, tells us to cry out to Him? In fact, under this new covenant, we can come boldly before the throne of God. Not as a timid and shy person, but boldly because this is God. This is my God. God does not turn a blind eye to His people. God has compassion. And God was going to make a way of escape. We notice that in verse 8. 
He was going to deliver them. He was going to bring them out of this land and he was going to do it in spectacular fashion. He was going to take these people who had been under oppression, who had no military might, had no power in of themselves. Oh, and on top of that, God is not going to use these people to deliver them. He says, I'll do it myself. Because God is not weak. God is not going to allow this to continue with His people. In the book of Isaiah, we hear that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is an approach to any people. Egypt was at death's door. And they didn't even know it. To the eyes of the Egyptians, they're a powerful nation. They have everything they could ever want. But they don't realize that God is about to bring them down a notch. God is about to make them pay for what they're doing to His people. See, God was going to make this way of escape. And that's nothing different for us today. God makes a way of escape for us as well. But what kind of oppression are we under today? That of sin. No, we don't have a physical nation oppressing us right now. Maybe in the future something like that might happen. But the greatest oppression any of us can face is that of sin. The guilt, the shame, the fear, the prevention of doing good, the inadequacy that we feel within ourselves, those are all oppressive things that hinder us. But our Lord came to this earth died on the cross for you and for me so that we don't have to be in bondage to sin anymore. That's exactly what Paul wrote about again and again and again throughout the Scriptures. See, our God has not changed from Egypt till now. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Sometimes when we read the Scriptures, we think of God as, well, there was the God of the Old Testament, and He was, he was a little bit rough, but we've got a God of love now. God was just as compassionate and loving in the Old Testament as He is in the New and He is just as just and strict in the new as He was in the old. This is the same God. And He says, my people are suffering and I'm going to help them. See, the children of Israel, they called out to God for this deliverance. And He was going to answer. I'm reminded of, again, the book of Isaiah where He says, the Lord's hand is not shortened that He cannot save, nor his ear heavy that He cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hit His face that He will not hear. What's He saying there? He says, I have the ability to help. God has the ability to help. And at this particular moment, He was going to help the people who were looking for Him. Who were seeking Him. So this was a message of compassion. This message that Moses was hearing from the bush was one of compassion. But what else are we going to see here? Yes, it was a message of compassion, but... It's also a message of trust. A message of trust. That's a pretty interesting picture right there. Because you can't have one without the other. You can't truly have trust without there being the truth. Why? Because eventually the truth comes to light. I can put my trust in someone, and I can continue to put my trust in someone, and if they're not telling me the truth, eventually someone's going to find out. Someone is going to see that there's an error here. But if I'm dealing with the truth, if I'm dealing with people who are telling me the truth, then I can put that trust in that person and can continue to be rewarded for it. So how is this a message of trust? What are we talking about here in particular? 
what God is telling Moses to deliver to these people, first of all, Moses has to trust what he has to say here. I mean, the Lord is telling you you're supposed to go to the most powerful nation on earth. You're supposed to tell the king of that nation, oh, by the way, all these people you've been oppressing, yeah, God doesn't like that, so he's going to let them go. Yeah, that's going to go great, isn't it? (laughs) Moses would have had all these moments of struggle with this, of saying, okay, I'm supposed to do this, but I don't think I'm capable of that. How am I supposed to handle this? See, Moses made excuses about all these reasons why he shouldn't go. Well, I, I can't speak very well. I'm not, I'm not eloquent in that. God says, take your brother Aaron. He says, well, they, they're not going to hear me. They're not going to believe me. He says, because you're not the one that's going to be giving the message. I am. You're just the mouthpiece. I'm reminded of what Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah chapter 1 where he tells the Lord, you've got to find somebody else. I'm just a youth. I'm not capable of this. And God says, do not be afraid of these people. What you say is what I'm going to tell you to say. Where you go is where I tell you to go. He says, I'm giving you that power because you're speaking in my name. Moses is in the same situation. He's simply the messenger. He's the one that's supposed to go. This isn't Moses' message that he's bringing to Pharaoh. This is God's. This was a message that he had to trust. How many excuses do we make today for not doing what we're supposed to do? I can come up with a whole host of reasons why I shouldn't do X or Y. I'm too tired. I'm too stressed. I got too much going on. There's a ball game. There's this going on. There's this going on. I haven't had a break in a long time. It's vacation time. I can come up with all the excuses in the world to not do what God's asked me to do. I can have any number of questions, any number of concerns. I can say, well, people are crazy out there. They're not going to like what I had to say. But at the end of the day, it's not me that's doing it. It's not my message. It's not the word of Joshua Kennedy from the pulpit. Because if that's all it is, this is worthless. But if this is the word of God, that is a truth that I have to commit to. I have to say this is the word of God. And what he says is what I will do. See, if I tell God I am not going to do X for X reason... What I'm telling him is your word is not as important as you think it is. I'm telling God what I want and what I'm comfortable with is far more important than anything you have to say. Do we see the seriousness of that? You see, we might think of it as a simple thing. Well, I'm just not comfortable with doing X. But that's a selfish attitude, is it not? Because if we think about it, part of the message we've been given is we are to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We've been told that we are to live a righteous life. But when we make these excuses, when I say, God, I don't trust you, we're making ourselves to be God. And we might prevent someone else from having the blessing of being a member of the Lord's church, being a part of His body and having that security and that safety, all because of what? I'm not comfortable with it. 
I don't like that. See, one of the fundamental aspects of Christianity is a denial of self. And friends, that is something that our world struggles with daily. It's something that every one of us struggle with daily. The first sin that was committed on this earth was from the position of selfishness. And it hasn't changed in several thousand years. It hasn't changed. People today still have this selfish attitude. Moses was being selfish in this position. He says, you just find somebody else. I'm not the one you want. He made all these excuses. See, he had a lack of trust in God at this particular point. So what does God do? God proves his point. He says, stick your hand in your cloak. Moses does, pulls it out. It's leprous. He says, stick it back in. Puts it back in, takes it out, it's healed. What's God saying? I have power over life and death. He says, take your rod, throw it down, it becomes a snake. He says, pick it back up. I have power over the very atoms on this earth. I can change an object from one to another. He says, are you still scared to go? He was proving his point. He says, what does Pharaoh have that I can't change? What power does he have that I can't destroy? He says, you go in my name. You trust in me because these people need to be delivered. God told Moses that he was going to be with him, that he was going to be beside him every step of the way. And guess what, brothers and sisters? That has the same promise today. How do I know that? Matthew chapter 28 Verses 18 through 20. Specifically, verse 20, what does he say? And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. If we are a member of the Lord's church, he has chosen to be with us too. Now, no, we're not going to be able to go out here and throw a chair on the ground and it becomes a camel. That's not what we're going to be able to do. but we have a message that for thousands of years people have been trying to destroy it and we still have the best-selling copy in the world. Tell me God does not have power today. Tell me God is not the same God today that He was back then. Friends, what we struggle with today is not a God who's less powerful, it's people who don't trust Him as much. It's people who are not as committed as they used to be. Because we have examples of those who are just like you and me. Do we think Peter was any different than any of us sitting in this auditorium this morning? Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, any of the Bible characters we read about, are any of them any different? I'll tell you where the main difference is for the majority of this world. They went when God told them to go. That's the main difference. But if you and I make that decision this morning, if you and I make that decision every single day that we're going to follow after Him, friends, we could have a book written about us if we could. No, that's not going to happen. We're not going to add to the Word of God. But we have the same position that they did. The same value that they had. The same abilities that they did. God has power. 
God has the ability if we're willing to trust in Him. God told Moses He was going to be with him when he goes to face the most powerful man on earth. Time after time throughout the Scriptures, we see moments where God's people had to stand before the most powerful person of that day and age. And it's always fascinating to me how many times that happens. But notice it's different every few books. (laughs) Nebuchadnezzar was the biggest guy on the block. And God says, crawl on all fours like an ox and eat grass. That's the power of the Lord. God verifies His identity to Moses in order to prove who had spoken. He says, Moses, this isn't you. Don't think that you have any bearing on this situation. All I'm telling you to do is go talk. The power comes from me. The message comes from me. And he verifies this. And he says, I'm going to not only verify this to you, I'm going to show Egypt as well. I'm going to show Egypt as well. This was a message of trust, but also this was a message of power. A message of power. For the particular subject we're talking about, that image kind of paints a picture. It shows us what we're talking about here. God's people were enslaved, and God says, I'm about to sever the chains. You're going to leave Egypt, and you're going to leave with a high hand. God promised Moses that he would show Egypt his own power. It's fascinating when you go through and look at the the plagues that took place and what God brought upon the Egyptians. And you look at each individual plague, and you'll realize something if you go back and look at Egyptian theology as well. Every one of those plagues attacked one of their gods. They worshipped the Nile River. They said, this is a God in of itself. It brings life to all this land. And God says, okay, watch this for a second. He takes this river that brought life to Egypt and He turned it into a cesspool of death. Turns it to blood. Said the fish were dying in the river. Your source of food, your source of water, your source of life in this nation, I just snatched it away from you. You still feeling comfortable? All of these things that Egypt thought made them a powerful nation, God turned it off. He even turned the sun off. We are impressed when there are eclipses and things of that nature in our day and age. I remember a few years ago I was able to witness the solar eclipse that took place. And it was really an interesting thing because you're standing here and it's daylight. And then in the blink of an eye it's dark. (laughs) And you say, wow, that's amazing. But you know what? There were still street lamps. You could still see some things. God said, no, I'm going to bring a darkness so thick you can feel it. I'm sure many of us at one point or another maybe have toured a cave, one of those large caves, because you know, going into the small ones just seems really dumb to me. But you go to a large cave, and a lot of times they'll turn out the lights. And you're that far underground, when you turn out the lights, you feel it. It's kind of disturbing. You feel movement everywhere, but, it's, but you're standing still. And a lot of people will not move until the lights come back on. (laughs) 
I'm, I'm just going to stay right here where I know I'm safe. If I move anywhere else, I'm not guaranteed, but right here I'm okay. Imagine that happening to an entire nation where you're standing in one place because you know I'm not safe anywhere else. I don't know what's out there. God says, I have power over everything that gives you wealth, everything that gives you life, everything that makes this world spin. I'm in charge. Talk about a terrifying thing to see. I have to imagine that the people of Egypt were a whole lot more ready to let the children of Israel go than Pharaoh was. I have to imagine that's the case because I just know in my particular case, when I see a couple frogs jump out of my stew, I'm going to be done. I'm not, this isn't worth it. <laughs> Send them packing. Make them go away. But it took ten of the most brutal plagues to make Pharaoh say, fine, go. But think about that last plague as well. What did God do? He killed the firstborn, right? What is He telling them? He even took the firstborn from Pharaoh's household. There's a whole massive implication there. He says, not only do I have the power over life, when I take away your firstborn, I'm taking away your legacy. And on top of that, I took the son of Pharaoh who you worship as a god. What gods do you have left that are more powerful than me? He brought Egypt down to its knees. And then as the final step, whenever Pharaoh begins to chase the children of Israel into the Red Sea, God says, okay, I left you with some might. There was a little bit left. You weren't completely finished as a nation yet. Now, you're completely done. I destroyed your military might, your wealth, I destroyed your gods. I destroyed everything because you refused to listen to who was in charge. That's power. That's power. And the interesting thing is, when you go study Egyptian history, there's a couple periods where things just go dark. Nothing's written about. You don't know what took place during that period of time, but I think we can get a couple ideas. Because Egypt one day is the most powerful nation, and the next minute, they're destroyed by everybody. They're ransacked by everybody. Sounds like they lost a couple things that protected them before. See, God promised that Pharaoh would let them go. And when God makes a promise, it's going to take place. It's going to happen. Because God has the very power to change the world itself. He can make His promises come to pass. So what about you and me today? What promises has He made for us? Well, He's promised us a home in heaven if we're willing to stay faithful to Him. He's promised us that His message is true. He's promised us that no matter what we face here on this earth, we can overcome. In fact, Paul described it as being more than conquerors through Him who loved us.
The question we have to ask ourselves is, do I trust that? Do I believe that God has power? Do I believe in what He's told me to do? Do I believe in what He said is going to happen? Do I believe that His church can survive? Yes, even in 2023. Do I believe in His power? Do I trust in Him? He made this promise that they were going to be saved. But not only that. When He told them they were going to leave Egypt, He told them they were going to leave with power. Now, if you are a group of slaves and you're freed, most of us probably won't think you're going to be leaving in a good place. But when we fast forward and we see all this that takes place, we see what happens with the Egyptians and what God does to them, we see that when the children of Israel left, the Egyptians were throwing their wealth at them, paying them to leave. It says they spoiled the Egyptians. And they did it without firing a shot. Imagine seeing the power of a group of people because of who they worshipped. Because of who they followed. And if you're an Egyptian sitting there, you've watched, as we talked about, you see frogs jumping out of your stew pot. You see boils popping up out of nowhere. You see all your cattle dying. You see hail and thunder and lightning and you see all this power of God. You see the sun turned out and you see all these kids dead. What would you be thinking? Would you have the same pride that you had before? Would you have the same confidence that you had before? To shake your fist at him and say, yeah, take your best shot. The worst part about this is, those ten plagues that God sent upon the Egyptians wasn't even his best shot. That wasn't even the worst God could have done. He showed them a mercy. The world today looks at our God as a vicious person. As an evil being. How dare He do this to people? But did we forget what we talked about in the first point? What had happened God's people were crying out because their children were being massacred. They were crying out to God because their human dignity was taken away. They were crying out to God because this evil tyrant was working them to the point of death. But there's many in the world who have sympathy for the people God destroyed. They say he's evil for doing that. Friends, that wasn't evil. That was justice. God judged those people for the sins they had committed. He judged them for the wrong that they had done. If Pharaoh had let the children of Israel go from the very beginning, not one plague would have come on Egypt. That would have been their reality. 
they would have been just as powerful as they were before. But they refused to listen. In fact, they were going to continue the same level of evil that they had been doing before. So God said, no more. This isn't happening again. Do we trust in this God who has the power to bring a powerful nation to its knees? Who has the power to do all that He's promised so that we can trust in Him, we can believe what He has to say? Do we trust in this God who has compassion for His people and is willing to stand with them through their darkest moments? Only you can answer that question. I can't answer that for you. I can't tell you what you're supposed to do. I can just tell you what God says. You have a choice this very morning. If there's anything in your life that is keeping you from this God, that is separating you from Him, you have a choice this morning to leave that behind. To say, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm not going to follow after the ways of the world anymore. I'm going to commit to God. I'm going to follow what He says. Not purely out of fear for what He can do to me, but also out of an understanding of what He's done for me. That He died on a cross to pay that penalty. The penalty that you and I all deserve. But He said, I will take that punishment. I will take that guilt away. I offer you a home in heaven with me, a place that is every good thing you could imagine if you just choose to follow me. Maybe this morning, you're not a member of the Lord's church. You're not a part of His people. He's made that path available to you. He wants you to be one of His. He wants you to follow after Him. How do we do that? Hear the word, Romans 10, 17. Believe it to be true, John 8, 24. Upon believing that to be true, we're willing to repent of all of our past sins, Acts 17, 30. And based upon that repentance, that changed mind, which brings a changed life, I'm willing to confess. To say, yes, Jesus Christ is the Son of God and I'm choosing to follow Him, according to Romans 10, 10. And based upon that confession, we're willing to baptize you into Christ this very morning. Washing away those sins leaving all that behind, all the guilt, the shame, the fear, all of it gone, and raised to walk in newness of life, according to 1 Peter 3.21, Acts 2.38. But maybe this morning you're not ready. You say, I I, I kind of want to do this. This sounds great, but I'm just, I, I need to know a little more. We're willing to sit down and study with you this very morning so that you can know, so you don't have to leave here unsure. but maybe you already became a member of the Lord's church. You've heard these accounts. You've heard of the power of God. You've seen all that He's been able to do throughout history. But maybe you allowed the world to separate you from Him. You don't see the compassion of God. You see the judgment. You don't see the trust in God. You see, well, maybe I've been lied to. 
And maybe you don't see the power of God, you see an imaginary being. The world has a way of turning us from the things that are important. From hindering us from what we know we need to do. But there's no reason for us to leave here in that state. According to 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, He wants you to come home. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All you have to do is make the choice. These front rows are reserved so that you can come forward, not just for asking for repentance for sins committed, but also asking for prayers. We all struggle. We all deal with difficulties. So if you have any need today, anything that is holding you back or hindering you, come now as together as we stand as we sing.